0: Hear the word of the Lord from John 6, 22 through 71. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may, believe, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. He also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome to Sacred City Church. My name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and today is our last Sunday of having two services. Uh, Next week, we're doing one combined service at 9.30 a.m., There'll be nursery and toddler's class, but everybody else will be in here. It'll be a nice, big, cozy service, all right? Um, Kevin already made that announcement. One thing I did wanna, I know some of this is, that some of you, this is the first time you're hearing of this, but this Friday night, we are having a walkthrough from six to eight. We're inviting everyone to come out. Listen, we're doing a couple things. One, we don't want everyone to show up on sun, that Sunday morning and then not know where to go. The, the building, it's an old, Actually, it's five buildings, okay? Five buildings combined into one. And so it takes a little while. I've seen your guys' faces when you've come over to volunteer and you start up a step and you realize, I'm going in the wrong direction. You have to go somewhere else, right? It takes a little while to to orient yourself, but also we want to see how the building flows and um, maybe things that we've overlooked, things that we need to move around. Maybe we need to move a kid's check-in table somewhere else. We want to kind of get a feel for that. So it would be really helpful for us if... uh, if all of us came out uh, for this Friday night, walk around the building, check it out, bring your kids, walk them to their classes, get some tacos in the parking lot, bring a couple folding chairs, sit out in the parking lot, hang out, let's just enjoy the gift of God. The building won't be completely done, all right? It, there'll be some little things that we still have a week to, to, to knock out more than likely, uh, but it'll be pretty close to being done and we want to enjoy that. So put it on your calendar this Friday night, six to 8 p.m. Come on out and uh, enjoy the building with us. All right. <clears throat> I gotta get to, the, we, have, we have like 50 verses here, okay? And we, and I don't have that much time, so I've got to get after it this morning. So let me pray. Father God, we thank you. We just thank you for being a sovereign God. We thank you for being good. We thank you for being gracious we thank you for getting us here in this gathering this morning. We believe that you, through the circumstances of our life, you have gotten every single person here, and you have a plan for them. You have a purpose for them being here, and I know part of that purpose is that they would hear the gospel this morning. They would hear the bread of heaven. They would hear the one who wants to meet every need that they have. They want, Father God, and I just I just pray that you would open their eyes, open their ears, that you would give them a desire for you and that they would hear your voice this morning. I, I'm a sinful man just like everybody else in this room and so I need you to think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords. I ask that you would anoint me this morning to preach and teach your word. God, would you show up and show out? Would you save? Would you heal? Would you minister? Father, we pray for Isla Gall- Galliard. We pray, just first we thank you for the ways that the doctors are saying that she is a walking, talking miracle the way that you have sustained her up until this moment, the way that she's continuing to fight, the way um, that you use all the the doctors to, to help and all the support that she's got, we just pray that we just pray that you continue to to show yourself strong to push back this cancer in her little body and to give her the strength to keep on fighting, Lord. We want to give you all the glory and the praise and the honor for all these things in Jesus' name. I pray, Amen. <clears throat> all right, you could open up your Bibles with me to John chapter six. Uh, We're going to be starting in verse 22. I want to get us up to speed really quick on where we are at in the Gospel of John. Jesus has revealed himself to be the one and only Son of God. In chapter 6, we saw him take a poor boy's sack lunch and miraculously multiply it to feed 15,000 people. Then after doing that, Jesus scared the life out of the apostles, right? They were out at night on a boat and Jesus comes walking up to them on the water and Jesus there showed his transcendence by, of course, walking on the water, calming the physical storm and also calming the emotional storm in the apostles' hearts and then he transports them back to the shore immediately. That showed us that Jesus is in charge of nature. He is transcendent over And above nature, he can transcend the natural laws of time, space, and matter. How can he do that? Because he created those laws. So he can bend those laws if he wants to bend those laws. Jesus is in a totally different category than we are because he is God. But Jesus is also man and he's imminent and he comes close to us and he gets in the boat. There's a great picture of Jesus last week. Now, here's the deal. Jesus being a miracle worker or a doer of powerful signs is just incontrovertible. Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, said of Jesus, and I quote, "'Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, "'if it be lawful to call him a man, "'for he was a doer of wonderful works, "'a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure,' he drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. So here we have this outside biblical source that says, yeah, Jesus did some amazing things and he gathered a lot of crowds. Well, today we're going to see Jesus give one long sermon. Okay, this is my text today, all right? One long sermon. Don't complain about it. This is Jesus... We know what a run-on sentence is. This is a run-on sermon, okay? It's a run-on sermon in three different contexts. He begins outside. He continues the sermon as he goes on into the temple. And then he continues the sermon and unpacking the sermon as he's with his disciples in a smaller intimate setting, all right? And basically the entire sermon is about what the feeding of the 15,000 people actually meant. Remember, the miracle was a sign. The miracle was, as a sign does, a sign points to something else, right? The miracle was pointing towards something more important than the miracle itself. Jesus didn't do amazing things just to get people's attention, all right? He did them to point to some deeper meaning. In other words, Jesus' miracle was also a metaphor okay in the rest of chapter six Jesus is going to explain the deeper meaning behind the feeding of the 15,000 he's going to explain it to the crowds then he's going to explain it to the Jewish leaders and then he's going to explain it to his disciples and what we're going to to see this is it's not that comforting comforting of a text I'll be honest to tell you that Because what we learn is that Jesus' sermons get more pointed and more offensive the closer you get to him, all right? His sermons cut, and to the crowds, they're like a shotgun, and to the disciples, they're like a surgeon's scalpel, right? They wound, he wounds in order to heal, but they are offensive, all right? So that's where we're going today. I'm gonna talk fast as if I don't already and let's keep moving, okay? We're on verse 22. I want you to open your Bibles and follow it up. Follow with me. We're not gonna be on the screens. So I want you to, if you've got, there's Bibles in the seat back, pouches in front of you if you can. Open it up, follow with me. I'm gonna go quick. Verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone. In other words, everybody saw the disciples go out trying to chase Jesus. Jesus didn't go in the boat. And now the boat's coming back and Jesus is with them. And they're like, what happened here? How, how did Jesus get in the boat? Verse 23, other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. He's tying it back into that miracle. Verse 24, so in the crowd here, this is Jesus speaking to the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Right? Rabbi, did you take an Uber? How did you get over here? Right? How did you get over here? And Jesus doesn't even explain it. Oh, I just walked across the water. He doesn't even tell us that. right? But this is setting up the context for the sermon. Verse 26. Jesus answered them, truly, truly. And when Jesus says truly, truly, he's doing this. I always say he's doing this. He's snapping his fingers. He's saying, look at me, listen up, pay attention, all right? Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Here's what he's saying. You're not even following me because you've seen me heal people. You've seen me do miracles. You're coming out to see me today because I gave you food. That's what he's saying. These people are treating Jesus like a food truck. They are following him because he filled their bellies. Verse 27 do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to... Inter- okay, here we go. We're playing with this metaphor. We're playing with this metaphor here of food. For the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. The Son of Man is an Old Testament loaded term. It's in Daniel. It's Jesus' favorite term for himself. It's not... It's basically the one that's going to come that, that's going to conquer Satan... It's the the long-expected prophet. It's the Messiah, but he doesn't call himself the Messiah. He likes to call himself the Son of Man. For on him, on Jesus, God the Father has set his seal. Now, do we know what a seal is? We don't use seals too often today, but back in the day, if an important person was going to send a letter and you wanted to make sure that no one had opened that letter and had changed that letter, what they would do is they would, put that, they would fold that letter up and they would put a little wax seal on it. They would implant either their ring or an official seal. And if you received that letter with that official seal on it and had been unbroken, you knew that this was an official letter and everything in it was true. Jesus is saying, the father has put his seal on me so you can trust everything that I'm going to tell you. I have been sent from the Father, from God, and everything that I'm going to deliver to you is of utmost heavenly importance. This morning, we are receiving mail from heaven, all right? And it's coming through Jesus, and you can trust it because you can trust Jesus, and the Father has put a seal on Jesus, all right? Now, Jesus here, once again, flips the script on these people, He says, oh, you think I'm a a food truck. You're only coming to me because you want a free lunch. This is what he says. That's not what you really need. You need food that will satisfy your souls. You need food that will satiate the cravings that you feel in your hearts. Can I ask you this morning? why do you feel like you're never good enough? Why do you want people to love and accept you so bad that you will do almost anything to get their approval? Why do you work so much? Why are you so controlled by other people's opinions of you? Why are you so anxious? Why do you wake up in the middle of the night with crazy thoughts? Why do you have so much pressure on yourself to perform? Jesus says, you're hungry. You are hungering and thirsting for something other than me. You're starving and you're feeding yourself with the wrong kind of food, you're like the the, one, the guy who's trying to lift weights and he's trying to build muscle and he goes to the snack cabinet and he's just slamming little debbies. He's wondering why it's growing here and not here. See. We are, hung, we are built for God. We are built by God. We are meant to satisfy all of our deepest needings, all of our deepest hungers in God, and yet we run to all the stuff that God's made, and we're shoving our face with all that stuff. See, if you are craving validation from outside sources, You will do almost anything to get that validation. You will work your life away. You will spend the majority of your waking hours scrolling your newsfeed or posting on social media and staring at your phone, and you will never be satisfied. You'll never feel like you're good enough. You will never measure up. Why? Because deep down in your soul, you are craving the food that only God can give you. You've got a hunger for God and you don't even know it. Come on. Jesus says, He is the Son of God and He can give you this food that endures to eternal life. The food that when you eat it, it builds, I'm going to say it like this, it builds a, a new resurrection body in you that will go on into eternal life. Amen. Let's keep going. Verse 28, then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, they're saying, What do I got to do to get this food? What do I got to do to get this food? What works do we have to do? This is one of the most important questions in life, guys. God, how can I get that food? How can I get that satisfaction? How can I earn your approval that I desperately want to hear the God who created me to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, this is my beloved son or daughter. What do I gotta do to do that? How can I get that eternal life that you're offering? That life that goes on forever. What must I do? Now listen, excuse me, every religion on the planet answers that question differently than Christianity. Every other religion answers that question by giving you a list of things you must do to procure God's favor. Every other religion is a religion based upon a person's ability to perform a certain list of works. But look at Jesus' answer. His answer is gonna go off like a bomb here. Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in whom he has sent. What must I do? What do I gotta do to get it? I want it, I want it, I want it. What do I got to do to get it? Believe. Not obey, not perform, not overfunction. not sacrifice, not lay down your life. No, no, no. What must I do to get this? Believe. Faith alone. This is what makes Christianity different from every other religion on the planet. It is a religion built on grace and not works. It's about faith and personal trust in Jesus and not about my adherence to a big long list of do's and don'ts right? The doorway into Christianity is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Verse 30. So they said to him, <clears throat> then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Now, this is where I want to smack some fools. Like, how, how many signs? How many signs do you need? The wine wasn't enough? The miracles wasn't enough? The healing wasn't enough? The, I just took a poor boy's sack lunch and fed you all? Like, and now they're like, oh, that was like yesterday, though. But what do we, now how many of us are like that? Well, yeah, you met my needs back there. Well, yeah, you gave me the wife, but now I need you to change the wife, right? Now I need you to help me with the wife, Right? So, I, what sign do you do, Jesus? Prove to me that you're still here, right? What sign do, What work do you perform? Now listen, here's the reality. We've learned about this thing called I-faith. And John, I-faith is always saying, what did you do for me lately? I-faith is genie in the bottle. You treat God like a genie in the bottle and you want him to do what you want him to do. This chapter is going to take a stick of dynamite to that false idea of God. God doesn't do what you want him to do. God is God. He has his own will and we must conform our will to his. I, faith, is never satisfied. If you're saying, God, I need you to do this for me, you say that today and tomorrow you'll say another thing and tomorrow, the day after something else and, and you'll be constantly saying, God, do this, God, do this, or I won't believe. God, do this, and I won't believe. Many people that walk away from Christianity, they walk away from Christianity because they had that false idea of God. And they put something before God and said, God, you must do this for me if you want me to believe. And God's like, nope, not playing that game anymore. And then they walk away from God. The problem is they're walking away from a false idea of God, not the true God of scripture. Here's the sign that they want. Here it is, verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What what are we talking about here? We're talking about the Exodus when when, when God fed the Israelites in the desert. He fed them with manna. Manna literally means what is it? God miraculously fed them from heaven with some substance they didn't even know what it was. Gave them food and water to drink and he did it for 40 years, right? Here's what they're saying. You said you're the new prophet, right? You said you're better than Moses. Moses, this is next level here. Moses fed us for 40 years, right? What are you gonna do, Jesus? Here's what they want. They want this free food truck to keep putting out. Like Moses fed us for 40 years. If you're better than him, show us, show us by feeding us forever. Can you imagine they're working out this deal? Like how much of our life do we spend working for bread? Honestly, we we spend working for food, like we know we got to feed the kids, right? Next week too. So we got to go to work and we got to get the food to buy the groceries, right? They're like, what a deal, man. This guy fed us one day. Why couldn't he do that every day? Could you imagine our life if we didn't have to feed ourselves? We just show up at the food truck every single day. There he is, kids, watch him do his thing. That's what they want. They want that I faith. Verse 32, Jesus then says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Okay, here's that metaphor. He's playing off of this bread here, and now he's saying, okay, God gave gave your, your forefathers bread in the wilderness, but it was actually the Father, and the Father God is about to give you the true bread from heaven. Here's the metaphor. Verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus begins to turn the feeding of the 15,000 into a metaphor for something deeper. He says, you want bread? Well, I am the bread from heaven. I am the bread of God who comes down from heaven to feed you and give you life. Now, back in the day, bread was one of the main staples of their diet. It was seen as vital for life. Jesus says here, if you want to live, really live, you need to eat the bread of heaven, and that's me. Now, this is a metaphor that's going to get pretty hard to understand, especially if you're people, like, they're they're here, and they they can't take a metaphor, and they're taking everything super literal, all right? Verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Again, they're like, this, this food truck's gonna roll at my house every single day? Let's go, yeah. Give us this bread, always. 35. Now, first off, can you imagine here? Jesus is like, you need bread. They're like, yeah, we need bread. You want heavenly bread? Heavenly bread? What does heavenly bread smell like? Right, they're licking their lips here. Can you imagine that, right? This food truck is about to go to the next level. I see that wonder truck driving by my house, and I wonder, what would it be like to get in the back of that, right? Here we go, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Again, He's saying there's a hunger that's deeper than your physical hunger. The the, the pains that you feel in your stomach, there's pains that are deeper than that and I can satisfy those. I am the bread that can satisfy every desire that you have in your life. Jesus is that heavenly bread. Here we go. If you want your soul to be fed, you have to come to Jesus. Jesus says that the way we come to him or the way that we eat and drink him is to believe in him. Here's the metaphor. He's the bread. You gotta eat him, okay? He's spiritual sustenance. You eat him by faith. You believe in him. You trust in him. What are the works we must do? Believe. Do you see that? Eating is believing. Do we get that? That's an important metaphor or you're going to be really grossed out by the rest of the text, I'm going I'm to be honest here, okay? Eating is a metaphor for believing. Here we go. Jesus says that we eat him or drink him when we believe in him, and believing means you put the full weight of your trust on him, that you turn away from your own efforts of becoming better in yourself or justifying your own self or trying to figure out ways to forgive your own sin and find the approval of God and you turn and trust in him and his work that he has done on our behalf. Verse 36, Jesus, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Again, I faith isn't good enough. You've seen me do these signs, but Jesus says, I can tell you still don't trust me. It's not enough to come to Jesus just to get your physical needs met. These people wanted food in the moment. Now listen, we come to Jesus all the time when we need help out of a difficult situation. You got a bill that you can't pay, that your marriage isn't going well, your kids are being difficult. We get sick in our body and all of those things are, it's good to go to Jesus when we have those needs. We should come to Jesus in those difficult circumstances. The problem is when we treat Jesus like a food truck and we only go to him when we need our physical needs met. Jesus here is about to teach one of the most difficult doctrines in all of scripture for people to understand and believe. It's called the doctrine of election. And I don't have time to go into it in a detail If you want me to talk about it later, I can. If you want me to do a podcast on it later, I can. I've preached on it many times in the past, but we're gonna let Jesus teach us what he means by the doctrine of election. Verse 37, here we go. All that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Listen to me. Look at me right now. There is no Jesus in heaven hoping and praying and wringing his hands that you will come to him. There is no God up in heaven right now thinking, oh, I really, really, really hope that those people will believe in me. No, Jesus says all that the Father has given me will come to me. In other words, before time even existed, God predestined and planned for certain people to come to him. He chose them. He elected them. You can look at Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, Romans 9 to go into more detail. The rest of this chapter is going to get it. In other words, Jesus wanted a bride and Jesus handpicked that bride and anyone the Father gave him will come to him. Okay, I know, I know. Whoa, whoa! I don't know about this. This is, makes me nervous, Justin. I'm an American, and I believe I got rights and I got choices, and it's all on me. Well, just hold on. Let's let's keep let's keep working here. All right. If I could, I literally could spend an hour teaching on this one verse thirty-seven. Anybody dare me? Anybody dare me? No. Okay. All right, All right. All right. All right. We're, what we're going to see here is something called election. God chose the people that Jesus was going to save. Then we see what's called effectual calling. When Jesus calls those people, they hear his word, they hear his voice, the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and they will come. There is no, this isn't like, this is how I always describe it. When you call out to your kids at dinner time and they're out playing, you're like, kids, come eat. And your voice cannot do anything to actually make them come eat, right? They're like, Okay, mom. I bet we got two more hollers. They're gonna yell at least twice before we're in trouble, right? So they just keep playing, keep doing this. No, when God says, you come forth, it's like Lazarus getting up out of the grave and and walking out a dead man living again. When Jesus calls his sheep, his sheep come forth. Mm. And here, look at this. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. In other words, oh, Jesus calls us and what that means is he gives us faith to believe. We then choose him, we then put our trust in him, we believe in him. We're called to him, we're given new heart, we're called we're born again is what it's called. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us. Now we're we're Christians now, we're new in Christ and now, yes, we wanna follow scripture, we wanna obey God, we wanna become more and more like Jesus but here's what can happen in our mind. Am I, how, am I good enough? Like, am I, am I enough like Jesus? Am I holy enough? Am I Christian enough? And we can be tempted to judge our salvation based on how well we obey God. And here's what Jesus says. When I call my sheep, my sheep come and I have never lost One. He's a perfect shepherd. He's a perfect shepherd. So when he calls you, you can be confident that he's going to deliver you to heaven and your resurrection body. And that's what we're going to see here pretty soon. All right. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I don't have time, keep going. 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, look, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Somebody say nothing. Oh, Listen, we are not saved. I'm gonna get real excited here, guys, and I am i don't know, I'm sorry. If, if, if I get a little, I, but I'm sorry, but I get excited about this. I will, let's go, let's go. Jesus says "I will that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. Jesus is the perfect shepherd. We are not saved by the strength of our faith. We are saved by the object of our faith. And what is the object? A perfect savior. A perfect savior. He doesn't lose any sheep. He knows where they all are. He knows exactly how to get them. And he calls them by name and they come walking forth. I love that picture of Lazarus, right? Lazarus come forth. I don't know. Uh, kind of liking this dead thing. I'm in heaven, dude. Jesus, I'm in heaven. Leave me alone. Seeing my grandparents. I wanted to see them. He says, Lazarus come forth. And Lazarus, <laughs> up he comes. Didn't have a choice. Didn't have a choice in the matter. Verse 40. For this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. Here's what we're gonna see today. Jesus gets deep inside of us somehow by his spirit and changes what we see. We don't just, when we see Jesus, we don't just see a man anymore. We don't just see a good teacher anymore. We don't just see somebody we should follow. We, we, We see fresh bread. We see eternal life. We see living water. We see everything I need in life. We see the the God-man. That's what Jesus did. And And then we desire him, right? This morning, I'm praying that God gets in your olfactory glands this morning and you start smelling the fresh bread of heaven and you start desiring to take and eat Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can satisfy you. I will raise him up on the last day. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm gonna raise everybody up. Anybody that believes in me, yes, they will die, but then they will live again in new resurrection bodies on the last day. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus is preaching some seriously controversial things here. He's claiming to be the only one, the only thing that will ever make them whole. He's saying he is the metaphorical bread from heaven and if they take him and eat him, they will have eternal life. Now this is actually some offensive teaching if you think that Jesus is just a man but what Jesus does next should really shock us because people are starting to get offended. who does this guy think he is? Like I like your food man I liked your bread and your fish and loaves but whoa, the only way to the God only way to the Father the only way to eternal life who do you think you are man we know you're Teddy. People get offended, and here, here, here's what here's what I'm supposed to do. When I preach and I hear that people get offended, what I'm supposed to do is rein it in, back it off, apologize. Oh, soften that message. Oh, you better tell them all the all the other, other easier things that Jesus said, but that's not what Jesus does. No. What Jesus does, here's what Jesus does. Oh, does that offend you? What bam! Try this one. That's he's about to pop, pop, pop. That's what he's he's gonna do. All right, Jesus now transitions. He he does not change his message. He just takes it up a notch and he's transitioning to teaching in the synagogue now. We learn that in verse 58, but let's go to verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Here's what gossip is when you talk bad about people when they're not in when they're not around, right? You talk behind their back, you complain about people that gossiping is a sin. Grumbling is talking bad about God. It's saying God got it wrong. Can you believe He did this? Can you believe He allowed this into my life? Can you believe Jesus thinks He's the bread from heaven? Verse 42. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know we we grew up with this joker I, I I saw I had this kid in preschool right this is the one that was you know that was throwing his figs at the teacher like I know this guy this guy can't be the son of God the, the bread that came down from heaven I saw your mama when she was pregnant I was there the day you were born we know who your daddy was who does this guy think he is getting the metaphor whoa How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? If you didn't know, Jesus existed as God, as the second member of the Trinity for all eternity. And the second member of the Trinity chose to become man by being impregnated by the Holy Spirit into a virgin womb, Mary, to be born God and man. Sinless man. Original sin was not passed down through him because God was his father and his mother was a virgin. Verse 42, they said, is not this? No, oh, no, I'm sorry, verse 43. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. Did you know that grumbling is a sin? Do you remember the story of the Exodus? Moses leads God's people out of Egyptian slavery and into the desert, and what do they do? They grumble against God's providence. God's feeding them with bread. He's feeding them with water. And what do they do? They start remembering the old meat pots back in Gen, Gen- back in Exodus. Literally, they're like, you, "Can you imagine sitting around the fire? Bread again? Literally, it just fell out of heaven, and they went and scooped it all up. And they're like, "Oh, bread! You remember the meat pots we had back in Egypt, right? What do they remember? You were in slavery back in Egypt. They gave you meat so that you could work all day long for them." Right? But they were grumbling against God's provision. They wanted better food and water. And what does God do? He disciplines them by allowing or making them wander around the desert for 40 years. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Here we see it again. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Do you see that? That's called effectual calling. In order for you to come to Christ, the spirit of God must draw you to Christ. You have to have something change in your mind and heart where now you see Jesus as desirable and you want to receive him. Election here is even more explicit. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. In other words, how does God draw us? He draws us by hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. When you hear the word of God preached, God gives you faith. God calls you to himself. Verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, that's Jesus. He has seen the Father. Jesus was with the Father in the Trinity. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Yes, we must believe, but we can only believe if God has first and foremost elected us to believe and given us the faith to believe in him. He must draw us to himself first. 48, I am the bread of life. One of Jesus's famous I am statements, his seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Eternal life. 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay, Jesus takes it up a notch here. He says, if you want to live forever, you need to eat my flesh. Okay, now we're talking, this is more offensive, right? What's he talking about? I must eat his flesh. That's disgusting. This is cannibalism, right? Verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Ew. right? Ew. We don't like this guy. Verse keep going. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, and here it is, guys, listen. They say, ew, gross, offensive. And here's what Jesus says. I'm gonna double down on that. Oh, you don't like flesh to eat? Here's what you get. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Can you imagine these people hearing this for the first time? Now, I know it's not as offensive to us because we have the Lord's Supper here and we think, oh, he's probably talking about the Lord's Supper, you know, bread and wine. But the Lord's Supper hadn't been given yet. So these people are receiving it like, eat your flesh, drink your blood. No. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Again, and I will raise him up on the last day. The resurrection is a key piece to this. 54, 55, I'm sorry. Well, let me, I'm gonna read through 59, let's go. 55, for my flesh is to food, my blood is to drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So there's something happened when we feed on Christ that we become one with Christ. This is a doctrine called union with Christ, that we're counted in Christ. So when Christ lives, we live. When Christ dies, we die. When Christ raises to new life, we raise to new life. That we we get grafted into the vine called Christ. 56, no, I'm sorry, 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. Whoever feeds on me will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So Jesus is speaking metaphorically, or we could say he's spiritually speaking. He is the bread that will satisfy our souls. He's the only one who can satisfy our deepest hunger, the hunger to literally live forever, the hunger to know God and walk with God and to see God face to face, to to live a deep and meaningful life, to love and be loved by our creator. But the Jewish leaders cannot take the metaphor here and they take him literally. Now, just put yourself in the disciples' shoes, sandals here for a second, okay? Okay. They're listening to this teaching and they're going, ooh. Can you imagine like being like you're you're behind Jesus, and Jesus is like, I'm the true bread from heaven. And people are like, We want the food truck. Give us the food truck. And then Jesus is like, You got to eat my flesh. And they're ooh. You got to drink my blood. Ooh. And now all of a sudden you start seeing people trickle away. And you're the disciples, you're like, Jesus, tone it down. More more eternal life, more bread, less flesh and blood, okay? Less flesh and blood, more eternal life, right? Let's pump up the good news here, Jesus. Tone down that that bloody stuff. You're being offensive. This is a hard teaching. Maybe you should soften up a little bit. And here's what Jesus does in verse 60. Look, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Stating the obvious. Right, let's lay off this, eat my flesh, drink my blood piece a little bit. Verse 61, what does Jesus do? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling. The Jews were grumbling. Now his own disciples are grumbling. Jesus, if you wanna gain a big crowd, this isn't the way to do it. They said said to them, Jesus said to them, do you take offense? At this? In other words, are you offended by me? Jesus the Son of God says, Does my teaching about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, about electing some and not others, about no one can come to me unless the Father draws him? Does that offend you? Hmm. Verse sixty-two then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? So will it offend you if I go back to the Father, if I literally go back to heaven? Because he's about, He's going to do that. This is what he says, verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. In other words, we can't cause ourselves to be born again. There's nothing we can do to make the spirit of God come into us. Guys, listen, there's nothing you can do. There is no incantation that you can say that makes God save you. God has to choose to save you. The spirit is the only one that can give you life. What can a dead man do to make himself come back to life? What can a spiritually dead person do to make themselves come back to life? If you said to that spiritually dead person, just believe in Jesus, they wouldn't hear you. Why? They're spiritually dead. What happens? The spirit of God has to enter into them and bring them back to life first and then they can put their faith in Jesus. 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Look at Jesus now. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. He's speaking here of Judas. Jesus chose 12, but he knew one of them was a devil. He knew one of them was not given by the father. One of them would not come to him for salvation. He knew it, but he had to do it so that God the father's plan could unfold and Judas could betray him to have him crucified. Now look what happens in verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. How do you respond to the hard words of Jesus? Here's a biblical truth. Hard words from Jesus, when received with humility, create soft hearts. And more often than not, soft words create hard hearts. Why? Jeremiah says it like this, or God says it like this through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like fire declares the Lord and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? God's word, which is Jesus, is meant to smash our idols. It's meant to cut open our hearts and show us how much we need his grace, that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. God's grace is a hard and violent thing sometimes. Read Flannery O'Connor. But for those who can't handle the hard words of Jesus, their hearts will remain hard and they'll walk away from him. 67. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? So he's watching the crowd walk away from him. He looks at his disciples and say, you want to go somewhere else? You want to go find bread somewhere else? 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Here's the correct attitude for a true follower of Jesus Christ. You got some hard words, Jesus, but where else can we go? In other words, the disciples are still offended. I don't understand this flesh and blood drinking and eating stuff. But you're the son of God. Where else am I going to go? They still don't understand everything that Jesus was trying to teach them. And guys, listen, that is the same for everybody in this room, including me. Jesus is God. How could a finite creature like us possibly comprehend an infinite God? There's no way this little bit of gray matter that we have in in our skulls could comprehend the fullness of God. We can't get to the end of God. We're going to have questions that will be answered in, in the eternal life because we're finite and he's infinite. You don't have to understand God before you come to him. So what do they do? They settle their doubts on this one thing. He says, we don't understand all your teaching. We definitely don't get this blood and stuff. We don't understand what you're really doing, but here's what we've come to believe. You alone have the words of eternal life, and you are the Holy One of God. How does Jesus respond to that? Verse 70, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. I'm just going to lay out this hard teaching for you to the best of my ability in the next three minutes if I can. It's up to you how you respond to the hard words. God made one man and one woman and he made them without sin. They had unfettered access to God and would have lived forever in the garden partaking of the tree of life. But they chose to rebel from God and do the one thing he told them not to do. Because of this, they became sinners and were cut off from a holy God. When they had children, their children were now born sinners. This is called the doctrine of original sin. King David says in Psalm 51, When I was in my mother's womb, I was a sinner. Here's the idea. Sin is like a stain you just can't get out. There's literally nothing that a human being can do to wash away the stain of their sin. Everything you do to try only makes it worse. It's like trying to clean a white tablecloth with Cheeto fingers. Everything you try to do, no matter how good it is, it's only making things worse. So here's what God does. God, in His grace, decides to save some sinners. In his absolute and total sovereignty, God chooses or elects some people to be saved. He calls it the bride of Christ. Now, many people object to this and say, well, why would God save some and not others? But the real question should be, why would God save any of us at all? None of us deserve it. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, the prophet Isaiah says. Every single one of us have sinned and the wages of sin is death. God says in Romans 9, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. In other words, God is sovereign and stop trying to figure it out. You won't get it until you're on the other side of glory. It is his divine prerogative on who to save and who to give that grace to. Now what this means for us is that salvation is 100% a gift of God. We can do nothing to earn it. Romans 9, 16 says, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Friends, I've met too many Christians that don't understand this and they think the reason I'm a Christian is because I read more books than other people. The reason I'm a Christian is just because my parents were a Christian. The reason I'm a Christian is because I read the Bible. The reason I'm a Christian is because God looked down and he thought I was better than my neighbor. That's not what happened. The reason you're a Christian is because God, by his Holy Spirit, moved into your heart and turned the lights on. Now the lights are on. Now you see Jesus. Now you want Jesus. Now you smell the bread of heaven. If God didn't come into your house, which is your heart first, then you wouldn't want him at all. So, so I, if I can't do anything to be saved, how do I know if I am saved? Have you turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ? then Jesus has called you. Have you refused to turn away from Jesus even when he offends you? Then Jesus has given you the Holy Spirit. See, the elect are drawn to Jesus. The elect listen to Jesus. The elect follow Jesus. The elect love Jesus because he first loved them. The elect enjoy feasting on Jesus by faith. So if you enjoy Jesus, that's evidence that the Spirit of God has been put in you. And if you are here this morning and you love God, you love God because he loved you first. God chose you. God pursued you. Jesus lived the perfect life that you couldn't live. And he died the death that all of us deserve in our place. And he goes to the, he's resurrected to new life. He goes to the Father. He goes to the Father so that he can send the Holy Spirit to us. The Spirit convicts you of your sin. The Spirit gives you new life. God gives you faith through the Holy Spirit. And all of this, guys, is grace upon grace upon grace. We didn't deserve any of it. So what should it cause us to do? It should cause us, all of this grace should terminate in the praise of God's glorious grace. What are we supposed to do? Believe. Accept, trust, rest, worship. Feast. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, I offer him to you. See him, believe him, be saved by him. For the Christian, we get to feast on him today. We we get the deeper meaning behind this that oh, oh he's actually going to this is his real body. Jesus really meets us. This isn't just a metaphor this morning. Spiritually, he meets us in the bread and in the wine and we are going to eat him and we are going to drink him and he's going to do something spiritually in us. He's going to once again satisfy our souls. Why do we wanna do this every single week? Because we need that meal every single week. Father God, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for being here. I pray that people would see and believe in Jesus this morning. And they would take him by faith and they would eat and drink him and they would receive eternal life. We pray all of this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen.